The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Manchester Derby 4-1 fallout. Ralph Rangnick. Ron rang his travel agent. Roy wants to wring someone's neck. Elsewhere, Arsenal go fourth. Pundit Panto. Marsh attacks. Leeds brand new look, quite like the old one. And other business down the bottom. Plus, more inter-totally cup magic. It's all in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And it's Monday the 7th of March. Listen, another week begins. And lucky me, I get to begin it in the company of Daniel Story, Matt Davis-Adams and Adam Hurry. Adam Hurry from the Football Clichés podcast, of course. Welcome. Hello. All right. Excellent. Good to have you here with us, Adam. Well, it's it's good to complete the technicalities of our swap deal. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, an informal and entirely amicable deal. But, but yeah. Uh, did, you, did you enjoy? Because we dedicate a lot of time to an area that doesn't get enough attention, if you if you ask me. Commentary, Matt. Did you enjoy that? Are, are some of our thoughts on commentary on the Football Clichés podcast? Did you? I, th- I think I would have enjoyed it more had oh. I taken a leaf out of Robin Cowan's book, who followed you uh, oh. as last week's guest. And, and basically, she pointed out that if you are about to commentate on a game, or in my case, if you just have, it is the last podcast <laughs> you should listen to. Any other time, absolutely fabulous. You know, a company on a dog walk couldn't ask for anything better. But on the way to a game or after a game, it will make you question everything about your life and career. Oh, well, right. that's, that's part of the intention. But, you know, commentators, you've become such a precious bunch. <laughs> now you've started out tweeting your annotated pre-match homework. You've all become fair game as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> mm. uh, are yours available as NFTs framed? Uh, we could have a conversation about that. Yeah, let me um, let me speak to John and see if we can turn it into a, a monkey or some sort of simian. And yeah, we'll we'll go from there. Nice. Okay. Well, Adam, uh, this week as part of your uh, guest role on the show, I know you've been focusing on the Manchester derby and coverage. There are very much like us. Sky went with their their top team to cover this one. Mm. Um, I, I was taken by the the kind of pre-game high noon stride across the pitch that they did. Was it high noon? Was it monkey's intro style, if you're old enough to remember that? Almost, almost. Mm. It was It was very sort of backstreet boys as well. But, I mean, my first observation on it was that they have clearly run out of ways to present four or five human beings talking about a game before it's happened. <laughs> there's, there's only so haven't. many ways you I mean, can frame it. And uh, it was a new one on me and I enjoyed it. A little bit overblown, but that's, that's part of uh, the, uh, the pantomime, I guess. If we're going to go down the route of having five people doing an activity while punditing, I think there are plenty of avenues that haven't been explored yet, many of which involve unicycles. But we can get onto that later on in the show. Daniel, uh, as yet, uh, you've kept your counsel, uh, largely because you're so excited about Forrest playing tonight in the FA Cup. Yes, Matt and I both are. I think we're both going. Yes, we're both going. Yes. Uh, Excellent. Forest will, having beaten Arsenal and Leicester, the customary format is that we then lose 2-0 at home and everyone forgets about the FA Cup. Right. Listen, you're chuckling to yourself because you know what actually happened on Monday night after we recorded this. So, uh, yeah, but that treat's in store for Matt 
and Daniel. Uh, let's uh, have a quick check on the Premier League results then uh, for this round so far. Man City's, to quote, proper doing of an absolute shower, 4-1 in the derby, saw them maintain their six-point lead over Liverpool, who were 1-0 winners against West Ham. All of the bottom five, aside from Everton, who've yet to play, lost. Leeds were defeated 1-0 at Leicester in Jesse Marsh's debut as manager. Burnley were 4-0 losers at home to Chelsea. Watford got done 3-2 at home to Arsenal, who've moved into fourth now. And Norwich got humped 3-1 by Brentford as the Bees claimed their first win in 10. Elsewhere, 4-0 for Aston Villa against Southampton. Newcastle were 2-1 winners over Brighton, who've now lost four games in a row. And Palace won 2-0 at Wolves, who've lost their last three. But these guys are just... It's all about how am I looking? Am I looking to pal? You know, my boots nice? Am I, is my, how's my hair looking? Play the game. Roy Keane making some serious points about Man United's second half in the derby. It was a 4-1 win for Man City. A first half, though, which had seen Man United performing at City's level, perhaps. We'll, we'll get on to what happened to United in the second half very shortly. But first of all, Manchester City. Daniel. Yeah, they were they were they were absolutely brilliant. Um, Pep Guardiola started Jack Grealish, which I think was probably a surprise. I think we assumed that that Raheem Sterling would start on that left hand side, and he clearly had a plan which worked. Whether Diego Dalla or Aaron Wan-Bissaka played, which was we have at least four players on the pitch in Cancelo, Foden, Bernardo, uh, Grealish, who are very happy on that left edge of the penalty area. So why not try and play with all four there at some point and just drown Wan-Bissaka? Uh, and he didn't get an awful lot of help. He floundered, but he didn't get a huge amount of support, I didn't think. But it, it, when City play well, they have this, they present this image that they have a cheat code, that there's nothing you can do that can really stop it. And when you put two or three players on one struggling right back and just pull the ball back into that penalty area and still manage to have three players in the penalty area for when you miss chances or have them saved. It felt impossible to stop. And United did try and stop it in the first half because I think they pressed pretty well. But even then, I think you kind of got the sense that the Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba pressing front two was not necessarily something that was going to last for 90 minutes or even 45, 50 minutes. And it didn't. And as soon as that press stopped... They found so much space in midfield. That that was the difference between the first half and the, the second half when, as you no doubt read, United had no shots whatsoever. 21% possession against 79 for the home side. And in those final 15 minutes, 92% for Man City against 8% for Man United, leading to Roy Keane's bitter diatribe. Uh, Matt, have you ever seen anything like it? Uh, what, in terms of United's performance or Keane's diatribe? Because I've definitely no, seen what? the latter. <laughs> Have but, you now? No, but that last 15 minutes in a game of that consequence was quite extraordinary. Yeah, it was. It, it was kind of back to, to Solskjaer against big sides except United at, at the Etihad kind of um, kind of mood. But it, it's a difficult game to provide much insightful analysis on, I think, because it, it conformed almost entirely to, to stereotype. I mean... The impressive thing about City, I guess, was their was their work rate. But United just disjointed is the only word I can really use to describe them. There seems to be no connectivity between areas of the pitch or the manager and what what he wants from the team. And, and Daniel mentions Wan Bissaka. I think he's a really really good illustration of United and their kind of woes over the last few years. Because you think of the the reputation that he came with when he joined from Crystal Palace. He was one of the most in demand 
defenders in, in the Premier League and the talk was of how can we possibly get this other right back into the England team. And he just doesn't, he seems to have regressed rather than made any progress. And, and you can say that about so many United players that they don't seem to have been coached to be better than they already are. And that's kind of kind of understandable under Solskjaer, although even then you'd think that they would have other coaches at the club who are capable of improving players. But Ranić, who's found himself in this in this crazy position, doesn't seem to have been able to improve anybody because he's too busy trying to impart a style of football on players who've never played it before and know they'll never play it again post May. It just all mm. seems so back to front and nonsensical that it must be must have been so painful. As as Keane said, you know, for those United supporters yesterday who were there who aren't fools, to see their team being completely outplayed and, and yeah, they were outfought and, and you know, for whatever that's worth. But even even if they'd put all their effort into that game and, you know, Lingard and Rashford had come on and, and torn about the place and tried to win the ball back all the time, they still would have been heavily beaten because they were playing against a far superior team with a far superior coach and, and a well-established way of playing. Mm. Grace Robertson suggesting that uh, Ralph, Rannick, Ralph Rannick's Man United is Ang Lee's Hulk, which I think is, that's the kind of... Comparison I can get on board with essentially flawed, possibly artistically more valid, but utterly irrelevant to the kind of ongoing timeline. Two wins in the last eight now for United in all competitions. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Kevin De Bruyne's uh, goals, uh, first of all, one of which displayed the uh, almost glacial speed of, of Man United defensive thinking, and the second very much illustrated the laser sharpness of City's concentration. It takes a lot for me to notice or care about lax marking and, and sloppy defensive play, but the the marking for De Bruyne's first goal was absolutely amazing. Uh, Alex Tellez pointing at De Bruyne at, at the latest possible moment for it to be of any use to anybody. I mean, I'm never sure what pointing ever means in football because I think it's more of an internal thing. I mean, communication-wise, it's never going to mean anything, but it was just as the cross came in for De Bruyne, having about as much space as anyone could ever have in a penalty area in the first five minutes of a of a very important football match. And uh, yeah, it, it didn't bode well. But it didn't bode well before the game because Guardiola was confronted with United's tactics. And Guardiola, who's become a bit of a parody of himself when it, when it comes to kind of overplaying the toughness of his of opponents, actually bordered on patronising when he just basically said, yeah, good luck to them. And uh, so it turned out from the first, you know, five minutes. Right. Okay, Uh, the first goal had multiple defenders falling over, which is always a treat. Uh, What about the second one? The the second one is just, that is complete City and complete United at the moment. De Gea makes a great save, which is now standard, having been left exposed by various defensive frailties. The ball then rebounds and Harry Maguire is probably unlucky that it rebounds through his own legs to a City player, but... Maguire is not a man for whom slowing down the game into fragmented slow motion does any favours at the moment. Uh, He just, I don't know, he looks like a man who's waiting for the wrong bus when the ball kind of rebounds to him at that moment. Uh, And then City have another chance. And then there's still another City player who is not just first to the ball, but got enough time to basically pause, allow two players to throw themselves at nothing and then just kick the ball into the net. It's, It's so simple. It was so bad power league football for me, that you've just got defenders reacting too late. And by the time you're that late to react, there's no point reacting at all because City will already have scored. Mm. 
De Bruyne almost looked annoyed, didn't he? When it, I've already scored this goal. I wanted to score a different one. This is, <laughs> that's this, his permanent exactly expression, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, also in the first half, a momentary equaliser for United, courtesy of former City player Jaden Sancho, whose ironic, what do you want me to do, non-celebration celebration was indeed celebra- itself celebrated by it uh, Duncan Alexander. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, it was I definitely a muted... It was a muted celebration with, I know I really do have to celebrate a little bit here because it's the Manchester derby. I also like to think in hindsight, he was also thinking, yeah, I've scored here, but we're probably going to lose this game 3 one Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, the build-up to the game was marked by a flurry of social media activity featuring Ronaldo's sister, Ronaldo's hip flexor and Ronaldo's flight to Portugal. Uh, Can you you break any students of... Instagram liking and that kind of thing. Can you break down the significance of of what unfolded? Because I know Roy Keane reckons that there's a a lot of things going on behind the scenes. I mean, there there definitely is a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Uh, Personally, I think that's that's one of those things that, in the context of losing the game heavily, becomes far bigger than it is if United draw that game Um, 2-2. Yes, there is bad noise around the club. To, to, To move briefly onto the Roy Keane stuff uh adam i'm sure we'll talk about some of the slight vagaries of that very weird and very p- weirdly pitched speech my favorite which i don't think i've heard before is him saying um the hair thing is is pretty standard i think but him saying i hope my boots look good that was an interesting one i don't think i've heard before normally it's colors of boots not just do these boots look good um but King's general point is about senior players stepping up and, and he's absolutely right on that. You look at that team and you, you go, well, Maguire is the senior defender and he looks lost without comfortable options around him. Um, Fred is the senior midfielder and he made one tackle in a game where City had 80% possession, basically, or 70%, 80% possession in the second half, which is mad. McTominay made seven and I didn't think he played that well. And then you've got Bruno Fernandes, who seems to be this kind of, sort of semi-permanent part footballer, part winger at the moment, which is not doing anyone any favours either. Given that part of Ronaldo's signing, the benefits thereof, was meant to be the enormous impact and influence he would have in the dressing room, how significant was it then that rather than stick around for one of United's biggest games of the season, he chose to head off to, uh, you know, to southern climbs? I don't know, really, because the, the reports that we hear is that he's not a positive influence, are they? So maybe mm. it's for the best... That he wasn't there. But you mentioned Sancho earlier, James. The impact of Ronaldo signing on him has been so negative, hasn't it? Because as you say, he was the marquee buy. And then along comes somebody who's essentially likely to take his place in the team. So Sancho seemed to be rather freed from from not having Ronaldo's presence there. But I mean, Ronaldo's one of, what, five, ten players that United will probably hope aren't in their squad next season. We were at least spared the televisual spectacle of having to cut to Cristiano Ronaldo looking very moody in the stands. I mean, how much of, what percentage do you reckon of the coverage that would have been had he actually been there? So uh, I, I think at least it was a merciful, a merciful trip to Rang, Rangnick's also, Rangnick's not one of those coaches who has a, 
maybe because we don't know him as much yet and has a, a face that is easily cut to on the bench to see him kind of head in hands either. He's annoyingly upbeat and chipper, whatever happens, which is a real shame for moments like that. Mm, he's got his return ticket in his back pocket, though, so he's OK. What What about Sky's approach then? Uh, how do you feel about the, the, the direction they're increasingly going down of, rather than, say, pure punditry, but this kind of panto punditry where you have... Roy Keane, who gets stupidly angry. Micah Richards, who laughs way louder than you'd expect in a confined space, which really throws everybody, generally in a positive way. Although I did notice that when he responded to Roy Keane's throwing in the towel ramp with, you should go down there and take charge, Roy was very much not smiling after Uh, that. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to kind of bookmark all these particular events of this punditry as it evolved throughout the evening. And and it it began with, with Roy Keane, who is kind of, the centrepiece for this panto punditry, as you, as you describe it, but which we all kind of participate in, because if we continue to devour the social clips that they spit out straight away, then then it's going to continue. But Keane, Keane's kind of fine in this role because, you know, this is a team he cares a great deal about. Admittedly, he's run out of things to say when they perform badly. So at, at that in that sense, it's kind of hit its peak. Um, Richard's, Richard's kind of storming in with that huge laugh after Keane's first monologue was a bit much for me and it didn't set the tone greatly for the rest of it because then it it ended up with the last half an hour or 20 minutes or so which was Neville kind of getting extremely angry at Richards and um, telling him he's he's ranting and didn't make sense which made for slightly uncomfortable TV for me and then the very last moments of the coverage which was David Jones wrapping it all up and uh, Neville looking at his watch and then just the biggest sigh of I can't be bothered to do this anymore I've ever seen. Richard's just beaming at the camera and Keane just sort of looking into himself going, this is, I can't do this anymore. And then Redknapp, who just a spare piece of furniture to, you know, in in the context of what they were talking about. Just why are you there? What's your role exactly? So it was it was it was a very interesting piece of TV, but not a particularly fresh one, I would have to say. All right. I, for one, think that uh, Jamie Redknapp is a vital piece of furniture. And uh, don't shift him from my uh, television front room. Any other thoughts, then, on this extraordinary City win? And in some ways, I suppose, an ordinary City win. I think I think the the wider context, I mean, any win was, was necessary for City to maintain momentum for the title race. The, the bigger context of the result is the top four race, because coupled with Arsenal's win... They are now ahead of Manchester United in the table with games in hand. And looking at their fixtures, I mean, they play United on the 23rd of April. That's obviously huge. But even outside that, if Arsenal beat, I think they've still got Leicester and Brighton and Leeds and Everton to play at home. If they continue their form, then that should be the top four race done for Manchester United, which I think even a fortnight ago or three weeks ago, I I kind of had them as penciled in for that fourth spot, just as a kind of almost as a kind of ingrained expectation that things will sort themselves out and, and things haven't sorted themselves out. Mm. Past you, Daniel, past you is busy shouting at present you, going, no, don't fall for it, it's Arsenal. <laughs> but we'll, we'll come on to Arsenal and their win at Watford very, very shortly. We should mention that, of course, uh, Liverpool did maintain their distance behind Man City with a victory at home to West Ham on Saturday evening. It's a seventh league win in a row. It was close, though, 35 shots between the two teams. Only the one goal, Sadio Mane from Trent Alexander-Arnold's cross will be generous. We'll call it a cross. Yeah. 
Uh, Virgil van Dijk's never been on the losing side for Liverpool in 60 Premier League games now at Anfield, which is a new record. Does that excite yeah, you? Yeah, that's, that's one of those. I can see Adam smiling. That's one of those stats that sounds brilliant until you realise who he's beaten. Uh, and the oh. player he squeezed past was, was Lee Sharp. I and never would think, have guessed Lee Sharp. In no, how is that possible? Years. I wouldn't have guessed Lee Sharp in the top 20 guesses if you just told me it was a Manchester United player. Never mind anything else. I mean, it, yes, he is very good. Yes, he his his magic is that he makes defenders next to him better. You look through mm. Lovren and Gomez and Matip and, and now Canate. He makes them all better and that's all on him or at least partly on him. But yeah, that stat is better if you don't see the full list. Okay, I'm surprised that there's not a Chelsea player at the top of that list in, due to Mourinho's extraordinary hegemony at home. I think uh, Carvalho and Ferreira are near are they? the okay. top. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we'll move on then. Let's talk about Watford Arsenal next. So, Mr Raniak, what's troubling you? Well, we've got a, a leak in the dressing room, doctor. Right, and you want to find out who it is? No, no, I just can't find a good plumber. Sometimes there's only so much you can do. But with Paddy Power, our offers are watertight. So this weekend, get money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus 4 bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Minards 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7-day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match outs, eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Arsenal... Moving the ball on quickly though. Martinelli! The football has been excellent from Arsenal and they're clear here. Earlier on Sunday, Watford 2, Arsenal 3. The Gunners, young Gunners, notching up their fourth win in a row. As Daniel mentioned, they are now fourth. One point clear of United, but with three games in hand on Ralph Rennick's side. Is it that part of the season when we spend a week thinking they're back and then regret it? Or is this different? And if so, why? Why? Matt, what do you think? Well, I mean, a lot of it is because of, of the sort of crummy form of the teams below them, I think. I mean, but you've got to give Arsenal the credit for the fact that they've won four games in a row. And, and was it August or September where everybody was joking about their goal of the month competition and how they couldn't have one because they didn't score any goals? And then... Oh. This one, like their goal of the season competition, came in the same game. But um, as Daniel's written in his excellent column, The Score, this morning, it's, it's all about the youth players for Arsenal, isn't it? And that seems to work perfectly for Arteta, that he's had this period where he's tried to get the likes of Aubameyang on board and, and it hasn't really happened. And so he's just kind of ditched that and gone with youth. They're obviously far easier players to mould and sort of bend to your thinking. And that seems to have worked perfectly for them you know particularly in this game and that, that was kind of epitomized by that Martinelli goal which Arteta effectively got an assist for it's just an extraordinary mm. thing to see it was kind of like it was like a training ground goal where you're not <laughs> playing against any opponents it's just like right quick restart and then we'll try this move and yeah very good now let's try it again for for anyone, allowed. should have been disallowed for, for, for anyone who didn't see this Matt just break down how it's possible that the manager effectively had the pre-assist 
Ball goes out for a throw. Arteta breaks protocol by leaving his technical area to pick it up, tosses it to one of his players. Four seconds later, the ball's in the net in a quite breathtaking goal of just I mean, one he didn't do the throwing himself. He threw it no, to he one didn't. of his he players. He chucked it to his players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. he was outside of his technical area when he did it. Right. You know, maybe, that, maybe that's what Adam's What's the fourth Adam's official doing? Me, <laughs> What's the fourth official doing? Why isn't he doing anything about it? I mean, I, I don't want to get too angry about it, but I, 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 when I watched the highlights, all I could think of was, where's the fourth official? And why is he so far away? And why isn't he dragging Arteta back where he, should, where he belongs? Mm. He's probably caught up in the giddy magic of Arsenal's performance against a Watford side who checks notes are actually really bad at home and loads of teams go there and beat them. Not Man United, admittedly. But, yeah, um, so Watford have lost. To, to put United's comical collapse into some context, Watford have lost 10 of their last 11 home games and the exception is the 4-1 win over Manchester United, which is... It did That was the result that ended Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's tenure there, but still. Watford played their role quite well, though. I mean, Kucha Hernandez's goal, as, as amazing as it was, did feel like it was the vital component of Watford won Arsenal 3, which um, it was a bit of a shame that Musa Sissoko ruined that because I spotted the 3-1 win a mile off when that goal went in. Now, we've been here before, as I say, with Arsenal, runs of victories against lesser opponents. Daniel, you mentioned the games they've got coming up. They've actually got a really busy schedule. Three games in six days, Leicester at home, Liverpool at home, and then Aston Villa away. Aston Villa, who are fresh from a whopping 4-0 win over a Southampton. Hmm. The, the, the difference seems to be, and, and yes, I'm, I'm very much tripping myself up here, I'm sure, for two weeks' time when we're, they're back in fifth, but there does seem to be a belief that isn't founded upon anything other than the evidence in front of them. Nobody's really getting carried away. They're just confident in what they're doing. And, and the youth of that side makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, Arsenal have now... Mick Arteta has picked the the 18 youngest team sides in the Premier League this season. So the youngest 18 youngest starting 11s are all picked by Arteta and he will make that 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 moving forward because they now have a settled side with those young players in. And there's always an argument, a kind of flip side of that argument that says when, when young players suffer setbacks, it can kind of cause this sort of shared sort of mental drop and collapse and loss of confidence. But you don't really get that sense with Arsenal. If anything, it's them dragging the club up rather than the other way around. Mm. Well, uh, Man United throwing in the towel, Mikel Arteta throwing in the, the throw-in. Uh, are Watford doomed, meanwhile? Comfortingly, everyone else down there losing. So there's only four points between them in 19th and Leeds, say, in, in 16th. And only six points covering the entire bottom five. Everton are in there at the moment and they have a couple of games, two or three games, depending on who you're looking in respect to in, in, in hand. What, what do you think? Is that it for Watford? Well, they've got they've got to play Everton, Leeds, Brentford and Burnley at home, which Ooh. is brilliant until you realise they've taken seven points at home all season. So maybe it isn't so good. Yeah, they've also got to play Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea away. So um, that's not ideal. Is it, I thought it was a bit early for, for Roy to go in on the Watford supporters as well. Um they booed the decision to sub Emmanuel Dennis and he said afterwards, unfortunately, I've got to carry on trying to pick teams to win games and not pick the team the fans would like to see because <laughs> I don't trust their judgment. Mm. OK, right. Unfortunately, I've got to go on trying to pick teams is an interesting way to begin that sentence as well. <laughs> uh, what, what of Leeds? Uh, Daniel, you went along to see Jesse Marsh's debut at the King Power against Leicester. Yeah, they were... They were much better. They were the, by far the better team. They created the better chances. And 
they then transpired to miss those chances because Patrick Bamford wasn't playing and transpired to you know suffer a momentary defensive lack of concentration and conceded a goal which is also kind of what Leeds do he he changed things they they didn't do this kind of man marking thing across the pitch they did press but not not this kind of man for man system uh and they yeah they were really good but it's one of those pieces as a you know small violin time but as a when you're covering the game you think the one thing I don't want to happen here is Leeds play quite well and lose because then there's basically no conclusions to make whatsoever Mm. well there's no shame in not having a conclusion um you know, we can we Good can wait a week for a, or a two. Football podcast, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, wait, let's see if Matt came back from Turf Moor with any conclusions after witnessing Burnley's four nil collapse at home to Chelsea. Matt. Uh, yeah, I did quite a few. Um, so, so I went as a reporter, not as a commentator. Which I don't know. Maybe I'm being benched for a bit, but. Don't forget to check out my interview with Thomas Tuchel on ChelseaFC.com and the Fifth Stand up uh, now. Yeah, I mean, the conclusion, the, honestly, James, the main conclusion that I drew from this game was that Burnley's defending was absolutely abysmal. And I don't know what happened to them at half time because in the first half, they did absolutely fine and, you know, sort of stopped Chelsea from, from getting anywhere near the goal. Did all that stuff you expect Burnley to do, even though they didn't have people like Ben Mee in terms of closing players down and whatever. And then in the second half, they just totally abandoned that. And Chelsea kind of apologetically scored four goals. Like the first one was was a good goal from Reese James, but he, he cuts inside, he cuts outside again, and then he cuts back inside and sort of looks says, Are you just gonna let me shoot? Well, all right, I'll just mm. put it in then. And and the last two goals from from Havertz and Pulisic, they really did look genuinely embarrassed to have scored them. Um because they were chances that were just thrown at them, essentially. Um but Chelsea did play well for that that sort of half hour spell in the second half. They didn't really need to play brilliantly. Burnley were dreadful and, and sort of disappointingly disappointingly so for a team that that had done so well in recent weeks. Mm. That's almost out of their games in hand as well. That that was their kind of wild card in the relegation struggle, but still very much in the bottom three. Reese James returning from injury in his last 15 starts for the club, writes Daniel's story, they've scored 37 goals. In the seven games he's missed, they only scored nine. I mean, compelling numbers. Well, yeah, and, and it's, it's, but it's, I mean, it's very obvious beyond those raw numbers as well, because when the other option is Cesar Azpilicueta, it's, it's hard to think of two more different types of right back or right wing back you could have at the same club than those two. You know, that recovery pace that allows him to get so far forward. I think he had more touches in Burnley's box than his own this weekend. And the same thing just never happens with Aspilicueta. And that's no criticism of him. They're just completely different profiles. Uh, Matt, you presumably spoke to Thomas Tuchel in your new guise as reporter post-game. Yes, I did. Yeah. And, and I mean, he has emerged with so much credit, I think, over the last week. I think Chelsea count themselves massively fortunate that he is currently the head coach of the club in this situation that they're in rather than, say... Maurizio Sarri or Jose Mourinho goodness knows how they would have reacted to things that have happened at Chelsea over the last week but particularly the way that he instantly condemned the the supporters who chanted Roman Abramovich's name during the applause uh, for Ukraine um, just totally unequivocal as he has been with everything basically and, and hasn't 
let things distract him in terms of setting his team up, hasn't used that as an excuse, which plenty of managers would do. He's mm. just an incredibly impressive figure, given that he's had to come out and do all the talking on the club's behalf about everything. And all right, he got exasperated at one question that was repeatedly being thrown at him. Um, but I think the way that he's conducted himself has been phenomenal. And, and as and when Chelsea get taken over, the, the first thing they've got to do is try and appease him and make sure that he wants to stick around. And in football terms as well, he, he stayed strong with keeping Lukaku out of the team as well because the the whole kind of fluid front three versus recognised heavyweight centre-forward debate is a very healthy one. There's logic on both sides, whichever team is kind of afflicted by it. But it was a great game for a fluid front three and it, it, it paid off in that kind of really short period after, after half-time. But the, Lukaku scoring in midweek, despite playing not very well, that goal could easily have got him back in the team, but it didn't. And then Tuchel remaining strong about that, I think, is to his credit. I think you know, as, as you know, as a leader figure. Mm. All right. Perhaps Romelu fancies a chance of breaking into the lineup Thursday night when Chelsea take on Norwich. Norwich, who this weekend lost three-one at home to Brentford. Are Brentford now out of trouble with that ending their eight-match winless streak in the Premier League? They've got Burnley at home next weekend, and. Uh, this that kind of run of games they had Newcastle, Norwich, Brentford. Um, they needed six points from them. I thought that Newcastle would end up being the important one because it, they needed to keep Newcastle there. But actually, now in hindsight, if they beat Norwich and Burnley and keep those two way below them, then they're not safe yet. But they've certainly taken significant strides. Hmm. Uh, Ivan Tony returning from injury. And scoring his first ever Premier League hat-trick, two of which were from the penalty spot, Thomas Frank, after the game, uh, stating again that Tony is the best penalty taker in the world. His record for the Bees is 16 out of 16, which to my mind is hard to beat. But what, what, what about? is there something about his penalty-taking style apart from his consistency that makes him numero uno? Yeah, I, I do like his technique because there's probably a lot of sceptics out there who, who look at his short run-up and go, wow, that's asking for trouble. But it's not. It's it's the opposite mentality to most short run-ups, which so is I, that... I wasn't paying enough attention. What What is his breakdown, his penalty approach? OK, so we're talking maybe one or two steps. I think it's probably about two steps. So, But it's it's not it's not a kind of exercise in hoodwinking the goalkeeper, really. Um, I think it was his second penalty was he just picked his spot. So he decided that, you know, in most cases, a short run-up is just the most efficient way of doing this. He knew exactly where he wanted to put it and the goalkeeper wasn't going to get anywhere near it because it was there was just not, not enough time to react to read the run-up. So that's why the short run-up really works for Tony. Um, so it's, it's not one of those kind of, you know, chess matches with the goalkeeper, you know, psychologically. He just he just found a very efficient way to find the corner of the goal. And that's really what penalties should be all about. That's, that's right. I mean, Beppe Signori, famous for a, mm. a, a similar approach with, with similarly great results. Why, why would you do a longer run-up then? What's the danger of a longer run-up, that you have more time to think and, and fall over and, and all sorts of other things? <laughs> yeah, potentially. It gives Many goalkeepers are take the approach of, of, of reading where the kick is going to go based on, on the, the shape of their run-up, the direction of the right. run-up, the shape of their body. And, and the longer the run-up, in theory the more opportunities they get to have that guess. So it, it seems to me the, the biggest credential of his tiny run-up is that goalkeepers just don't know where it's going. And then right. when he does, does decide where he's going, he does it very efficiently. Excellent. Uh, Daniel, I know you want to mention Christian Eriksen's first start for Brentford, not just for the lovely vignette when he and Brandon Williams kind of first tussled, first wrestled, and then kind of ended up in slightly kind of women-in-love territory uh, <laughs> there 
uh, when you know when that spark of recognition. I mean, I'm happy to just talk about that. So oh, you can do if you want. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I adored it. It's very rare that you could see a, a kind of three or four second clip like that and know exactly what both players are thinking at, at every single moment of it. And you really could there this kind of oh god, it's you. Oh, it's you. Oh, nice to see you. And then both players get up, kind of smiling as if they just met a long lost friend on the street. It was great. But Very more nice. importantly, it's mm. really good to know the threshold for not getting throttled by Brandon Williams. Like that that's what it takes. <laughs> so now we all we're all clear. You find yourself in that situation. Most of us are screwed. <laughs> Be Christian Eriksen. Uh, Christian Eriksen's impact elsewhere on the game. Well he set up the first goal. It was his corner that, that led to the first goal, but Brentford didn't have to do anything for any of their goals, much in the same way as Chelsea. They were all presented to them and I just just felt for haunted Dean Smith. I know he tried to, to sort of blame a couple of dodgy decisions, but you could almost see his process as he stood there, just, just looking around thinking, why did I take this job? What am I doing here? Why didn't I just give myself an extra couple of weeks in New York, hanging out with my son and then think, you know what? I don't fancy just going straight back down to the championship. And yeah, against the team that he used to manage as well, of course, I just think he must lament the decision to take the Norwich gig with every day that passes. My new favourite jam is reading quotes from managers moaning about penalty decisions before watching the highlights and then seeing those penalty decisions. And this was an absolute classic of the genre from Smith. Because for the second penalty, he said, oh, I mean, Gibson's gone to ground and he shouldn't have done that. But then Tony's put his foot across and caught him. And I thought, OK, fair enough. I know what that sort of looks like in my mind. And then you watch the challenge and see Gibson just swipe Tony away. I loved it. Mm, well... Uh, they'll be up against Chelsea, as I mentioned, on Thursday night. Busy uh, Thursday night schedule, actually, in that Premier League. You've also got Saints against Newcastle, Wolves taking on Watford and Leeds facing Aston Villa. Before any of that, Monday night, Everton will be at Spurs. Possibly happen, but by the time you hear this, listener, Mike Riley incidentally has apologised to Everton and Frank Lampard for the penalty that wasn't awarded to them against Man City last weekend when Rodri handled curious to look back on that game and how close it was and how nearly Everton took a point and perhaps should have given how immensely superior Man City were against this weekend's opponents hmm football I guess well still to come on this totally football show we've got ooh fresh slice of drama from the intertotally cup and we get on to the other games that happened this weekend like that Aston Villa for Saints nil a result in the Moral Compass Derby, I'm calling it Saints v Villains. We'll get onto that very shortly. Keep listening for Rory Smith versus Lindsay Hooper in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's pre recorded. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Totally Football Show live. It's a thing. Imagine making podcasts. Imagine taking those podcasts on the road. Madness. Niche, some would call it. Anyway, (laughs) we're on our way to Manchester on the 19th of April. And if you want to be there, what can I say? Uh, Go to thelowry.com for tickets. How are the ticket sales doing, Producer Charlie? That many. Okay. Uh, Totally Football League show is out on Monday. That's with you, Matt. What are you talking about in the show? Uh, well, I see that Charlie's put a note to say we'll be talking about Ravel Morrison's goal for Derby. Ooh. Obviously, not not if I can help it, but yeah, uh, a point of interest that he scored for the first time since since 2014. Uh, we might talk about I'm Steve sorry, Bruce. What? Yeah, scored for the first time since 2014. Ravel Morrison. What in England? Incredible stuff. Uh, I would. But hang on, no, sorry. What? Yeah. Like, are you saying in any? Because he's been all over the shop. That must be in English football. He doesn't play an awful lot. No, he doesn't. No, but I must admit, watching that goal. Uh, the first time I didn't realise it was Ravel Morrison. It's an amazing goal, and then it's quite amazing because it's Ravel Morrison who finishes it with all the you know the backstory that that implies. Is and this might be something you get into in the show. Is Wayne Rooney's presence there? Is it has he finally found a manager who can keep him, or has that enough time passed that Ravel Morrison is finally ready to live out live up to some of his potential? Yeah, I mean he's he's twenty nine now, so right. You'd hope the latter is true. I don't know, I'm 55 and I still see no sign of it happening. Yes. <laughs> He's just a player in an average championship side who scored a goal against another average championship side. I don't think it's the start of, of a, a revival for, for Ravel Morrison. He um, did score. They are in goals in England, Matt. He yes, and league as well. Atlas. Atlas. Yeah. He did score against Salford in the League Cup as well earlier this season. Uh, but yeah, anyway, rare Ravel Morrison goals, mm. as are Steve Bruce wins, and he got one of them this Ooh. weekend, so we might give that a mention as well. All right, excellent. Uh, the Athletic Women's Football Podcast is out on Tuesday, talking about another League Cup final defeat for Chelsea. Beaten 3-1 by Man City on Saturday, so no domestic trouble for Emma Hayes' side. Also with you on Tuesday, Totally Football Show European Edition. With a big preview of the midweek European games, notably Real Madrid against Paris Saint-Germain, who were beaten Saturday night, 1-0 in Nice. Also Bayern Munich stumbling again, another one-one draw for them. What's going on? Find out with our Euro crew. Uh, meanwhile, on this show, uh, let's do the Premier League uh, games that we haven't done yet. Games like Aston Villa 4, Saints nil. 
That's two straight wins for Villa, but their first uh, first home win for three months. Crikey! They played Coutinho, Watkins, and Ings together for the first well, for the first time in the last two, and they've won six 0 combined. So that's probably interesting. I think. Yeah. Mm, certainly sounds it. Well done to Daniel for. I think that's the first time I've ever heard uh, Ollie Watkins referred to just by his surname. He's one of those ah. footballers you have to say the full name of. Cool. Um, yeah, someone had to do it. You had to, you had to, yeah, we had to break the uh, break the deadlock somehow. Adam, I bet you've done a whole show or possibly more on that footballers who have to be referred to by both names. Give us some. It's other a combination examples. of factors. Uh, my theory is um, there's a really mundane explanation for it. It's, it's a it's a syllabic thing. You know, mm-hmm. the fewer the syllables, the more likely your name is to be read out in full. Um, but there's there's a kind of career trajectory aspect to this as well. I'd say it's almost exclusive to players between the ages of 18 and 25. After that, you start to seep into the consciousness enough, I would say. So, but um, by then you might have seeped into the consciousness as the full package in terms of your nomenclature. So, yeah, by now he's Ollie Watkins. That is the mental symbol I assign him rather than Watkins. I mean, I, mm. I struggle to think who you might mean if you say Watkin, Watkins to me. Uh, who, would, who would be some other massive examples? Dan Byrne. Okay. Quite literally. Right. Ben Mee as well. Ben, ben Mee. Mee. But that's ben, just ben, funny as well. No, you know, ben, ben Mee commentators, I absolutely hate commentating on Ben Mee because you feel like such a prat saying <laughs> when he's got the ball. So you have to say Ben Mee every time. Ravel Morrison would be one. You know, I think notoriety is a key factor in that because you, right. if you said Morrison, who's that? Ravel Morrison, football bad boy. Oh, yeah, I know him. Mm. Right. Harvey Barnes. Yeah. Harvey, well, yeah, because there's another Barnes perhaps. And Herrera always used to, I always think, mm. used to get it. I don't know why. You, that... you get into grey area with the Iberian lot, though, yeah, don't that's you? True. Yeah, It's that's interesting true. with the Ben Mee angle because, frankly, one of the joys of football for me was commentators only saying the second name, but in a sentence with a verb before it or, 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 or a noun, or a great shot by me, etc., which yeah, you know, good sounds luck for like you. they're playing FIFA and, you know, yeah, yeah. on Twitch. O- opens, us up to, opens us up to ridicule. Right. You very much try to limit that as much as you can. <laughs> we'll move on. We'll move on. Okay, so uh, uh, that was a big win for Villa and Watkins and that on the score sheet and a big loss for Saints who had been on a seven-game unbeaten run. Any other particularly telling lessons from that match? Or do you think there's more significance perhaps in Newcastle continuing their unbeaten run? They're now at eight games after their 2-1 victory over Brighton. Amazing to think we ever thought Newcastle would be in trouble come the end of the season. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they are completely different. And, and the aforementioned Dan Byrne, who has been the unlikely star signing in January, forget the injured Kieran Trippier in the non-goal-scoring Chris Wood, although he was good on Saturday, forget Bruno Gamares, who can't get in the team at the moment, because Dan Byrne has just transform that central defence and actually the Newcastle fans I spoke to at the time said if we sign one player in January it has to be a central defender forget everything else we need to be more organised and um, yeah Brighton have not been particularly good since he's gone I'm not sure I don't think they've won in the league since he's since he left um, they were they are still missing defenders and Adam Webster I think is is their best central defender and is still out but yeah Newcastle are I mean, they're not safe yet because they were in so much trouble before. But mm. as they keep winning games, like, you know, I think they're five points off Brighton now, which is mad. Currently, Newcastle live 14th. They are seven points off Burnley, who are in 18th, uh, the top of the bottom three. 
Uh, do they have games in hand? No, not on Burnley, but yes, on a couple of the teams below them, including Leeds. Hmm. Much was made of um, Newcastle's team photo in the dressing room afterwards, oh. which is, which is um, apparently a very deliberate ploy from Eddie Howe, his kind of feel-good factor approach. And Dan, Dan, burn, burn was actually only the second most terrifying thing in that photo because he he dominates the uh, the angle. He's He's got his arms wrapped around um, Ryan Fraser and Matt Target, fairly diminutive figures. So he, and mm. you know, bare arms sort of wrapped around him, sort of Hulk style. So he's smack bang in the middle of the frame. But what is actually genuinely the most terrifying thing of the image, which you, which swiftly dawns on you moments later, is just to the right of him, the manic... On the train up to a stag do eyes of Jason Tindall, who's he's genuinely very scary man to look at. He's but he just oozes positive energy, which is kind of Eddie Howe's kind of thing. And um, yeah, it's a very deliberate ploy, but a, a really odd one to see all this, all this, all this kind of take place in the midst of John Joe Shelby issuing the first ever post-win apology for his performance. Bizarre behaviour. I mean, there, yeah. maybe there was something conspicuously bad about what he did in that game, but it was a really weird thing to do. And, the, and Newcastle put it out themselves as well. Right. So, first of all, the photos. Is that at every game? There's a post-game photo released on the social uh, mm. feature in the mall. 46 people. Giving it some. 46 people in the picture? Yep. Okay. John Joe Shelby with his head down, penitent look on his face... Hands clasped in front of him. No, a little wry smile actually. A little wry smile. You know, because he got he, he got yeah. his worries off his chest with the issued apology. So right, fine. okay. And what did the apology say? We weren't our best yesterday, but sometimes you have to grind out results. Credit to Brighton. I apologise for my own performance. I've actually oh. watched the game back twice. Really, Jesus. But I dug deep and proud of my team for doing the same. Okay. On a on a scale of one to ten, uh, written by himselfness. I'd put that quite high. It, it, it feels like, like he's. It feels like writing lines in detention, doesn't it? The fact that it's been mm. put out by the club's official Twitter account. It feels like he's had a really stern telling off about something, been made to face the dressing room wall for a bit, and then right, you can stay here for the picture, but then you're going straight upstairs to write out the apology for what you did today. Does it's anybody so know what he did? He do honestly. I watched the game, and he was fine. <laughs> I don't, he wasn't one of the three worst players on the pitch. He wasn't one of the three best players on the pitch. And mm. and more importantly, as Adam says, they won the game. Surely you only issue apologies when your team's not won a game. Ah, it's this, is where, this is where the how over earnestness really does yeah. bleed into yeah. the other players. It can become too much. Mm. I do I do like that description of Tindall. He reminds me of that kind of sort of maniacal, over-keen David Lloyd personal trainer, isn't Very he? Very personal it? trainery. Yeah. Yeah. Jason. Uh, what to make of Crystal Palace and their 2-0 victory away at Wolves just to wrap up the Premier League weekend thus far. Three defeats in a row now for Wolves, whose European hopes, remember them, uh, evaporating fast. Palace moving into the top half, now 12 points clear of the relegation zone. Palace, eh? Mm. I think they're a good example of, of a sort of mid-table Premier League club who can use cup competitions to play themselves back into form. Like they, Since the turn of the year and the FA Cup started, they've been drawn against lower league opposition in every round and, and they've beaten them in every round and that's kind of helped them get their groove back in the Premier League because they were, they were really out of form towards the end of last year, weren't they? And it's, you know, Vieira called this their best performance under him. But I think that cut run really underpins it because it's such an easy way to get supporters on board, particularly when you, when you're at a new club and particularly at Crystal Palace, you've gone out of the 
you know, at the first round in both cups in each of the last two seasons. Now, as you say, they've got these couple of Premier League points, which means that the Premier League's not really a concern for them anymore and that they'll finish somewhere between, what, ninth and 14th if they really tail off. And they've got, what, they've got Everton in the cup, so there's mm. every chance that they could end up going to Wembley. And then you're talking about a really successful first season for Vieira, albeit he sort of borrowed a bit from Hodgson in this particular game. Mm. Uh, Daniel, you had a, a, a pretty effective two-word answer for why Brighton are doing badly, uh, Adam Webster being the the words. Have you got a similarly succinct solution for Wolves' current woes? Not quite as succinct, but it was really interesting hearing Bruno Larger after the game really call out an individual player in, in Keanu Hoover. Um, you know, we're used to managers' sort of pointed criticism, but this was as explicit as it gets. So he sort of said... He's a good example of a kid who wants everything to happen too quickly. He's not. His implication, I'm paraphrasing here, is that he's not training properly. He he wants to be in the team, but he doesn't want to work hard enough at it. And in the last sentence or the last paragraph of that interview, Lager kind of extends that to all the other players and says, "This is a lesson for everyone." It was kind of like, well, yeah, but we've just heard two minutes of you lambasting a young player, so it's it, you can't then just extend it to everyone. I. I suspect all it is is this is what happens when you're a non-elite team and when something drops by 5%, some intangible, everything falls apart quite quickly. All right, Wolves are in action again on Thursday. Just to remind you, those fixtures are Wolves-Watford, Saints-Newcastle, Leeds-Villa and, yes, Norwich-Chelsea. All of that following the second legs of the first set of Champions League last 16s. Speaking of internationally prestigious cup competitions, the Intertotally is very much overshadowing the Champions League in many people's minds right now. Adam, have you been following it? Are you itching for a go at the big one next time? Yeah, I'm trying to work out what the qualification process is. Does this get me into the 2023 Intertotally? Because... I'm champing at the bit. I've been you? averaging about three and a half out of five so far. Seriously? Get him in. Yeah, Correct yeah. answers. Make him play yeah. Michael Cox first round. Three and a half out of five. Uh, yeah, so I've been following along, answering along, doing well. Also been on cheat watch. Who's cheating? Because yeah. I can sense it in the voice of some people. Can you? Deliberating and- for about 45 seconds, then going, oh, 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 what players are the tournament World interesting. Cup? So interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's in tobacco, so, wasn't it? <laughs> who, um, yeah, who, 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 um, what red flags? Have you had any red flags this, this season? It's more of a general vibe okay. of intonation. Nobody so suddenly wanna... realising what the question's about right. and what the answer is out of okay. nowhere. No, nobody, genuinely nobody, because it's, it's popping okay. up as a general theme. But I, I don't know, maybe there are safeguards against this. Producer John will could, know more. Yeah, well, be across this next one then and let us know if there's anything untoward as we unveil game six, I think, of this Intertotally Cup, which is Rory Smith against Lindsay Hooper. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. It's game six of the Intertotally Cup and so far... Duncan's dunked on Alvaro, Flo's blown past Sasha, Tom bombed v Dom, Jules kicked out Matt like Kurt's cat and now is waiting for Avenji on Benji, who meantime did Adrian, but I haven't got a rhyme for that. And let's meet our next two contestants. Up first, he's an award-winning columnist and part of the Monday Night Club. 
representing the parent company of The Athletic and therefore The Totally Football Show. So best behaviour, please. It's Rory Smith. Wow, a bit of rainbow. What a uh, song that is. It's almost a bye to the quarterfinals with that. My, my, my little boy's really into air guitar at the moment uh, yeah. just because we know a professional air guitarist and he's of course taught you do. the right. uh, the moves. So so that's one of his favorite that along with um Sweet Child of Mine those those are his okay. two favorite air guitar songs. Right. You don't want to go straight in on Sweet Child of Mine. No. You want to warm up with a bit of rainbow, especially the bit where it goes da 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 uh, da da Exactly. It's just a brilliant song. And I, I'm glad that it's played once because I will be being eliminated. Oh, I, I would not think that, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> ah, hello there. Let's meet our second contestant. And his opponent... She's one third of the Offside Raw podcast and half of the Athletic Women's Football podcast. Just back from honeymoon, not in her hometown of Wolverhampton. It's super duper Lindsay Hooper. Woo! Hungry like the wolves, Lindsay Hooper. I'm going to run out of songs, aren't I? With the I had <laughs> She Wolf last time, but we're going to have oh, to yeah. go for something else, I think, next year. All right. Well, welcome to the Intertotally again, Lindsay. Uh, how are you feeling? Um, I think from listening to all the episodes, which I was doing on a lovely Mauritian beach, oh my word. I felt it was quite tough this year. Yeah, I felt for Sasha. There have been ones where I've got about three, and that's been my top score out of five so far. Okay. Am I right in thinking that neither you nor Rory has ever won an Intertotally match? I have not, that's true. I've Indeed. only done it once, but yeah, I pulled okay. an answer out of the bag and then lost on a tie break, didn't oh, I? Think? To who? Was it probably Jack Lang, was it? No, Julian. Ah, yeah, another of the fierce competitors. All right, well, uh, whoever does get through, we'll have Duncan Alexander waiting in the next round. They will also receive £10, which Paddy Power will place on the bed of your choice. The proceeds, of course, going uh, to a charity of your choice. Uh, Lindsay, what will your charity be? The Derby Rimmer Foundation. Okay, what do they do? Uh, Stephen Derby, um, many people might know from his time with Bradford City, has motor neuron disease, um, and it's a it's a charity that I've worked with in the last twelve months doing a feature for Premier League. Um, so I wanted to choose them and hopefully get more awareness as well of the great work that they're doing to try and find a cure and raise awareness of that awful disease. Very good idea. And, and what will your wager be? I'd like to go with Harry Kane to score for Spurs against Manchester United at the weekend. Uh, we've seen some better form from him in recent weeks. I think that will continue here. Very interesting. Rory, what's your charity and wager? Uh, the wager is for Manchester City to score at least three goals against Sporting Club de Portugal, but not Sporting Lisbon. People I know. Cross. <laughs> People get very cross if you get that wrong. Uh, and the 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 reason that's quite an obvious bet. It's not exactly a, a big gamble, but it, the uh, the charity is the Disaster Emergency Committee's appeal for Ukraine. So I thought I'd go for something that will get them some money. Good. All right. Excellent. Rory, you're up first. Here comes question one. Rory, for which English club other than Bolton did JJ Okocha appear? Oh. Hmm. JJ Okocha. I have absolutely no memory of him anywhere other than Bolton. 
but I wonder if he signed for someone. Is he going to pull this out of the bag, listener? Like Charlton. Well, is Hull City like Charlton? Kind Probably of. not. Probably did, did, not. did JJ Proctor play for Hull? I have no memory of that at all. Well. There you go. I'll take your word for it, James. Take Nick Miller's word for it. Which is oh, far it is. It's more Nick reliable. Miller. That's right. Yeah. It's Nick Miller is the is the D, the uh, what's the, the word? Nefer- yeah. The nefarious question master. Indeed so. All right. So, question two then. Early doors. Who was the first player to score a hat-trick in the Premier League when he scored three, four leads in 1992? Uh, I believe that is Lee Chapman. <gasps> it's Eric Cantona. <sighs> Eric Cantona. This is not done well. Question three. What was unusual about the first three goals in the recent She Believes Cup game between USA and New Zealand? Uh, they were all own goals scored by the same player. That is correct. You're on the board. Question four. Which English defender recently signed for Australian side Melbourne City on loan and has scored twice in his first seven games there? Oh, now. I know that Jack Rodwell has gone to Australia, but then the fact that you're describing him as a defender, Jack Rodwell kind of was a defender. But I can't think of anybody else who's recently gone to Australia, so I'm going to have to go for Jack Rodwell. All right, Carl Jenkinson, if you're listening, Rory apologises for completely missing. No, I don't. I do not apologise for that at all. All right, then. This is key, Rory, to double Mm, your score. Question five. (laughs) Who was Jose Mourinho talking about when he said, I studied Italian five hours a day for many months to ensure I could communicate? X had been in England for five years and still struggled to say good morning and good afternoon. Famous quote. Mm. I studied Italian five hours a day for many months to ensure I could communicate. X was in England five years and still struggled to say good morning and good afternoon. Uh, I'm trying to go through the long list of people that Jose Mourinho doesn't like, but that (laughs) is probably a... You'll be there a while. I know, yeah, this is not going to make great content. Gonna have to hurry you, Rory. Five years. I'm gonna go for Pochettino. The answer is Claudio Ranieri. Yeah, okay, that was my other option. I don't, and that's unfair on Claudio Ranieri. <laughs> Claudio Ranieri's English is quite good. Anyway, that's a... Yeah, it was one predicted. of many things. He also called him a 70-year-old when he was about 60 at the time. Yeah. He went on a long rant about Claudio Ranieri, who was his rival at the time. This is from uh, Jose Mourinho's uh, hugely successful interdays when he could get away with mm. things like that. Mm. Anyway, I, I apologise to the parent company of The Athletic for disgracing <laughs> myself. A score one out of five... Lindsay, are you ready for your questions? Oh, yeah, go on. All right, you need one of these to force a tiebreaker. Two would put you into your very first ever quarterfinal berth against Duncan Alexander. Woof. Question one. For which English club, other than Manchester City, did Georgie Kincladze appear? Now, I heard Julian yesterday, and I felt yep. like he went too quick sometimes. He did, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to think. Uh, King Clancy. Yeah. Because oh. you can't go too slow either. That's, you know, it's somewhere between. Oh, I don't know why, but I'm thinking 
it was Midlands, maybe Derby, somewhere like that. Derby County, I'm going to go Derby County. Is correct. <gasps> oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. So I'm already tied, right? The You're pressure's already a tied. Okay. okay. Four chances to take this, and then it's a tiebreaker. Question two. Who is the only player to score three hat-tricks against a single club in the Premier League? I feel like I've club. actually mentioned this in a in a piece that I've done. Mm. Um, I'm going to have to make a bit of a guess on this. He wasn't really that prolific at hat tricks, but I, I'm going to try Teddy Sheringham. Is incorrect. Luis Suarez. Oh. Luis Suarez Norwich. against Norwich. Yes. Oh yes, I was at the game. Yeah. Yeah. Rory's in that it. sweet zone where you know the answers I, to the I knew, other. I, I knew yeah. both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Question three, Lindsay. What was unusual about the Comoros goalkeeper in their Africa Cup of Nations second round game against host Cameroon? This is where I highlight the fact that I didn't watch the Africa Cup of Nations too much. Um, what was comical, did you say? No, what was unusual about unusual. the Comoros goalkeeper in the game against Cameroon? He wasn't a goalkeeper. He was an outfield player. That is correct, Lindsay. Listener, you knew that as well. And, Lindsay, that means you're in the quarterfinals. We'll give you the next two questions anyway, just to see what your score is. You're on two out of three at the moment. Yeah. Put some wind up, Duncan Alexander, by nailing these next two, eh? Question four. Which English striker signed for Australian side Perth Glory in October but is yet to make a start due to injuries? <sighs> Perth Glory. Why do I feel like I've done this as well? Um... English striker, Perth Glory, lots of injuries. I know that Rory's screaming, aren't you, right now? Uh, it rings a bell, but I don't... Oh, yeah, I do know. Yeah. I, I, Lindsay, I oh, think I do, you I do, I yeah. do, I do, I do. It's Daniel Sturridge, isn't it? It is Daniel Sturridge. Yeah. All right. Oh. And question five for a massive score of four out of five. Who was Jose Mourinho talking about when he said, when you enjoy what you do, you don't lose your hair, and X is bald? Can you do it again just so that I can hear you do No, it was terrible. <laughs> what was the quote again? The quote was, when you enjoy what you do, you don't lose your hair and X is bald. I feel like that might have been, even though he wasn't, I feel like that might have been aimed at Wenger. I mean, he's Tom. so not bald. No. You'd really be hard-pressed to find someone with a fuller head of hair than Arsene Wenger, <laughs> except for maybe Mikel Arteta. Maybe that's some part of their employment policy. I don't know. But I know no, I've it's... got it wrong anyway, but can I have another go? Oh, go on oh. then. Sven. No, it's not Sven either. No. Go on, is Rory. It, is it Conte? It's not Conte. Is it not Conte? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Do you want to go through any other ball people? It's Pep Guardiola. Ah, okay. His old rival, uh, Pep. Mm, brilliant. There you go. Three out of five, though, Lindsay. As you point out, some people have got zero. And Rory only that, got I've one. Done, I think mm. the questions were okay, actually. They yeah. weren't as bad as some of the other ones. Not as bad yeah. as some of the other ones, indeed. All right, magnificent. Congratulations to you, Lindsay. Commiserations to you, Rory. B beaten by the better player. All right. And it's Duncan Alexander, Lindsay. How do you feel? Oh, I want this matchup. Every time I'm on Totally, I'm on yeah. with Duncan Alexander. I Are feel you? this has been written in the stars. Yeah, it seems like it's a, a booking coincidence. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, it's on his rider, actually. Too. I'll do it, but I want Lindsay Hooper. <laughs> well, to, to be fair... I also feel like every time I'm on Totally, it's with Duncan. So that might just be that Duncan's on Totally a lot. Duncan's on a lot. (laughs) Too much. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you both for playing and making part of this year's magic of Intertotally. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Super duper indeed from Lindsay Hooper. We'll see you in the Intertotally quarterfinals. And if you agree with Lindsay and think Harry Kane will score any time against Man United, you can get odds of 5-4 to four at paddypower.com and on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only and please gamble responsibly. Crikey. All right. Well, Lindsay Hooper through. How did you get on then, Adam? Uh, three for each for me. Yeah. Below par. Oh, no, but still enough. You know, that's still below game-winning form. Right. <laughs> Maybe you want to write a social media post about it apologizing i don't know <laughs> uh anyway uh matt of course you got loads of them i could see yeah i'm uh, a bit because... worried about my status in next year's competition to be honest if people like adam are, are champing at the bit and i've won one of three albeit it's worth pointing out that in the last two and you're not really a commentator anymore of course so yeah. your status is going down but that's oh, okay because next year we'll be unveiling our intertotally conference cup and they <laughs> you know you're just you're just being there uh, Daniel, you're still to go. Of course, you. When you. When's your big first round? First round game against uh, that Michael Cox. Been, I think it's been moved to Thursday for coverage. This Thursday. Coverage. Yes. Police. Wow. Police advice. <laughs> yeah. Twelve o'clock kickoff. Wow. Well, that that's huge. And then the the one other first round game still out there is Charlie Eccleshare in his debut on the competition. My dark right? horse for the competition. Yeah, you've got to worry that the, that's been yeah. hyped a bit too much now, though. You reckon? You? I think, he's up yeah, against he, James Horncastle, and he and and he might have wanted to get that out of the way early doors. It's been so much talk about how Charlie's the, the dark horse that he's kind of not the dark horse anymore for me. Right. Okay. Eccleshire. I yeah. admire Matt's ability to trash talk when he's out of the competition. <laughs> Very. Can't much. trash talk Eccleshire. This is a man who has the entirety of Premier League history tattooed on his body. All right. He's, he's, well, that would be cheating, I guess. So no. it's to be seen. But anyway, next up, it is on Thursday, a uh, story against Michael Cox, who very much fits into that category of people whose full name needs to be employed for much the same reasons as you gave for Ben Mee, I think, probably. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but that, uh, that concludes today's Totally Football Show. Anything you want to leave our dear listener with, apart from uh, best wishes for the rest of the week? That no, that's it. me. They're all in a hurry to get places and say important things about football listeners. So we'll let them go. Many thanks to Adam and Daniel and Matt, producer Charlie, and you, listener. Do enjoy our other podcasts, and we'll see you Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.